Algar Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 345, covering The Breach and Cogenitor, with Vishal Baradwaj. Hi friends, here's a voice you haven't heard for quite some time, Vishal's with us. It is I. It, it, is, it is he. Him? It is, it is thou? Yeah, let's go with thou. Yeah. Anyone but not it. Right, no, we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, so you, you... Is is there a particular reason you're here this week, or just uh, just because it's been a um, while, or is this like your very favorite episode of Enterprise here? Or? It's been a while, and of the two seasons of Enterprise I've seen, this is probably the best episode they've done. I <laughs> For me, anyway. Agree with that, probably. So is that praising with faint damnation? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean. I'm not as down on Enterprise as you guys are. At this I point, think, I feel like that but... would be impossible, but... Yeah. Okay. Also, yeah. most people don't watch the entirety of Star Trek two episodes a week for seven right, years. Right. So, you know, there is... Nor that. should nah, they. I can, I can see that, yeah. Yeah. If you if you take some breaks or if you watch one, you know, at your own mm. pace, it, it might not be so bad, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, anything you love can be bad if you just keep, you know... Right. Mm-hmm. Going at it. <laughs> If it, if it sucks, is what you really want to say. Hmm. This show well, sucks, yes. Just to be clear. Every fault is amplified. Every, mm-hmm. uh, you know. To be clear, I never loved Brandon Braga or Rick Berman, and I hate them mm. even less. Or I hate them I, even more. I want to yeah. go back and see if that's true. Like, we go back to early TNG when they first started and just like, is this it? Did they do no, anything I knew, good now? I knew going in that I didn't like Brandon Braga, so mm. I already had my mind made up before, you know. And Rick Berman is just a human monster, so yeah, pretty much. Hmm. But the real the real monster is Rick Berman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, why don't you get us started with the breach? I will. And if anyone could tell me why it was called the breach, that would be great. Well, because there was a breach on that one ship. Was there? Yes. That's why uh... they called it that. Yeah, I don't know. If that's why they called it that, but that's what happened. Oh, this show's garbage. Okay. <laughs> so it's the last day before an alien world is handed back over to the Chinese after a hundred years of British colonialism, and the good ship Enterprise has been tasked with digging up some Denobulan geologists. So Archer sends his best men, and also Malcolm, it's there to do a less exciting version of the descent. So, the descent too. After some serious cave mucking about, and also Travis breaking his leg whilst trying to lift two grown men with his giant muscle arms, the team meets up with the scientists, who refuse to leave and make Travis carry their samples. Um, at this point, I'm pretty sure that stunning the scientists and then just carrying them back would be less annoying than carrying the rocks, but whatever. So the alien government tries to have the team killed, but Archer yells until everything sort of works out, and the day is saved. Back in Enterprise, two white dudes argue about how they are affected by racism. <laughs> Okay, I think you kind of marginalized the main plot, but... Mm. Mm. Did he, though? <laughs> well, there more there was more screen time spent on those two guys arguing about racism. So mm, I, I feel like if that was the case, they would have called it the racism argument and not the breach. Well, the breach happened on I... that dude's ship. That's what injured him to bring him over to, to Flox's care, wasn't L- it? Listen, Al, at this point, I'm not entirely certain a breach actually happened. All I have is you guys telling me. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really know. 
I'm wondering where this episode started. Was it did it start off as a more elaborate spelunky thing or did they just <laughs> you know did the did the b plot turn into the a plot did the a plot turn into the b plot did it just land in the middle somewhere like they did now i can definitely see someone at start at enterprise hq going we should have another episode set in a cave there's not yeah. enough ca- and okay what we do is we go on location and we shoot a really beautiful shot of them going into a mountain and then we go to those same fucking paper mache caves that we always go in yep that hill uh, was almost sound of music in its gorgeousness yeah it was you're going to say this is the shot with the with the shuttle in it yes. right mm-hmm. because that is a matte painting it's oh. a really okay well that was a good yeah. painting then yeah it's a i mean it's decent enough but i've watched enough matte paintings that i look at it and think oh 2000s era matte painting I, the thing is that i will give this show credit for trying something like that rather yeah. than that same no, no, planet they, health mm. set that they always use yeah. you know Look, Enterprise was the first show where they tried to shake things up a bit, and I sort of have that in my notes uh, as well. Where uh, they changed their pipeline. They first of all they didn't do models anymore, mm-hmm. which is a it's a double-edged sword. But that was their they were one of the first show to push entirely for um, uh, for CG in a way that was actually viable. Mm-hmm. I mean, people had tried it before. I think uh, what's the other the oh Babylon Five was show. all about that. Yeah, yeah Babylon oh, yeah. Five. Yeah, but by the time nineteen ninety nine or two thousand rolled around, these guys were using Lightwave. Voyager did a lot of that, and mm-hmm. this was one of the first shows where it was photo real enough for the space stuff. They didn't do a great job, as we'll see in the second episode's uh, solar whatever it was but, I don't know I uh, like that little triangle trying yeah. to have sex with Enterprise <laughs> <laughs> the thing is I I will appreciate them attempting something new even if it doesn't hold up yeah. now even if it doesn't look super great sure. at least it's yeah. not that same standard model shot no. we always get and Okay, here's black space with a little splotch of color like you know, there's something new you know no it it looked phenomenal for 2001. I remember because right. I saw a lot of these episodes in 2001. Well, especially if you saw yes, them in HD because definition. the show was the first one done yeah. in HD also. Mm. Yeah. So. And even on standard definition, it looked nice. It's only after, let's say, Battlestar Galactica do you start thinking, okay, this could be different and better. That's true. Yep. You know, because those guys, Zoic, those, the guys who did Battlestar Galactica literally redefined what space uh space photography or or spaceship photography should look like yeah that's, that, that's true although i have to in their in in star trek's defense battlestar galactica didn't have aliens and they didn't have alien planets it was hmm. all spaceships and robots and that was it cool so. robots yeah but literally now everyone including discovery really just follows that template of zoic and of battlestar galactica well that's true and honestly the first time discovery went to an alien planet and it's like oh even even a small detail like the leaves are blue instead of green like mm. that was so trying, that was such know? a nice shot mm. yeah i like that kind of stuff i think get off on discovery but goddamn uh, we'll we'll get there soon mm. enough. Not soon <laughs> yeah. enough but soon. uh speaking of blue things i i also wonder if this one is the first time they tried to use digital cameras because the way it was lit was different from yes it's the same kind of cave set and all that but mm-hmm. they they did something slightly different with the lighting and i know that later on in like the third or fourth season again they moved entirely to g- digital cameras mm-hmm. so maybe this is one of the early experiments i, I will say this, it looks better like you know cave or not it, yeah. it's filmed a lot better it looks yeah nice yeah, it it mm. is, but it's clear they're not in a real cave. Is well, all. No. And, no, and that's one that's, of those times they, they where they still it's had like, to rely on the 
on the prop department and the set de- department. Right. There. And guys, and we because... need to make it a cave on it. And because we've been in so many caves, it's just like you haven't brought anything new to this, so mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mm. care that much. Uh, let's start with good things. Vishal, what do you got? Uh, despite me making fun of the A and B plot, I actually liked uh, what I guess is the A plot, which is uh, Flox's whole... Uh, it's presented to us as this, as the usual, these two aliens don't get along, you know, but hey, they're not so different after all. Mm-hmm. But actually, by the end of it, you realize, you realize that it's it's a story of Flox's burden and that burden is not what we think it is. We think that, oh, he's feeling guilty over the war crimes of either him or his people or other denobulans or whatever. But his his guilt is actually over failing his own son. Mm-hmm. And failing his son from being radicalized, right? Which is it's it's quite a bit more nuanced, and uh, that's nice. It's not easy to tackle as uh, as a subject, and they don't obviously do the greatest job in the world. But it's it's nice that they even tried that. Mm-hmm. No, I and they ended well. I I did enjoy that aspect of it. However, I feel like the son element was brought in pretty late. That came in in like the third yeah. act or something, and it's like most yeah. of it was. What bugged me was most of it was Phlox wanting to take care of this guy. This guy saying, you're my ancient enemy. You can't touch me. Yeah. Phlox saying, okay, well, Hippocratic Oath. I got to do what he says. And then Archer yep. doing that thing Archer always does. Mm. Where he's like, well, mm. I don't care about the Hippocratic Oath. I don't care about the wishes of the patient. You do what I want. No, that's the thing. Is but, the, um, it's not the Hippocratic Oath because Phlox yeah. hasn't taken the Hippocratic Oath. Well, okay, but you know what I mean. No, he's I know. a doctor and, and his he has sworn in whatever culture he's got mm-hmm. to respect the wishes mm. of his patients. That's yeah. that's what his deal is. But there I also understand Archer's uh, point of view where he says that look you're on my ship you're on, a, on an earth ship there is no federation there is no like treaty between people you are an earth agent in some ways so you have to do that, it by our rules that's true you are working for an earth ship I, I guess I don't know I still also, think no one is ever happy if if a corpse shows up on your ship no matter how it got there hmm. like yeah, but it's but Archer's stance is always I don't care what anyone else wants this is my personal morality and you're just gonna do exactly what I say no and you're right most of the time and it's hmm. mostly that this show does hits that note every week if yeah. this, if this episode I, I, existed yeah, in I, a I, vacuum then that would be a different story sure Yes, and for someone like me who's seeing it after a year where I don't have the quite as much of the baggage, I understand and remember all those mm-hmm. episodes where Archer is basically being a dick for the sake of being a dick. Yeah. But in this one, it sort of works, and he's I think he's justified in, in pushing it in that direction, especially considering later in the episode, they kind of talk about it and almost joke about it where... Uh, you know, Archer asks how he convinced him, Ugh. and he, and Flock says, you know, don't you... Uh, don't you understand doctor-patient confidentiality? And he's sort of throwing the Hippocratic oath back yep. at mm-hmm. him and saying, you know, you could, you could almost, you could always order me to tell you. And that's a nice. Uh, again, it's it's quite nuanced. I don't know if they're if they were aiming for that, but it it lands well mm. in the hands of those actors. I can see that. I don't. I don't know that I agree, but it's it's a valid point. I just, hmm. I'm again the cumulative effect of Archer every week yes. doing this, and also. <laughs> No, he shouldn't be able to order him because doctor-patient confidentiality should be secure. No as far what. as I know, that doctor yeah, always trumps the captain on the uh, in these matters. I thought so. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. It just it, yeah. Again, it's the cumulative. It's effect. not. It's not 
let's say it's not explained to us as viewers as well maybe an actual doctor would look at it and be able to or another doctor would be able to say okay that's they're going by this logic or he's going by that logic but we don't understand mm-hmm. and that's a failing of the episode right no and and they did a lot of like they drew from a lot of previous episodes like i think matt pointed out there's a mm-hmm. there's some real like um uh, shades of Neelix there, where Neelix suddenly had this shady past of being yep, yeah. in a war that we never knew about. Like, whoa, yeah. wait, what? I mean, like, I do like that they twisted it. That it's not Neil, it's not Flox who himself has that past, which yeah. is what we naturally think. Right, that's true. No, I actually, I much preferred the the his son angle to just him being, you know, having like this this sh- yeah, this I- shitty past that he's. Right, dealing with. I, I think they should have uh, maybe another draft or two. They would have dialed down the interaction between him and the uh, and Tarin mm-hmm. because that was kind of useless, actually. Well, it mostly and just looked like the uh, more. the alien just being petulant at him. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I can I, understand that point of view. Yeah, but I don't know that I'd say petulant. As in the aliens, Some people are very you know set in their ways and i don't even think that makes him a racist necessarily it just makes him you know no i don't i don't think either of them are racist in the way that we would define it Mm. it they are you know it's it's a war wound but it's a war wound carried over generations it's the thing that flocks himself has to deal with with his grandmother his grandmother fails him by pushing that war wound over to him Right, and he doesn't fail his kids or most of them at least by not transferring it to them. Mm. And I guess, I guess, if the episode yeah. had focused more on that, like, yeah, th- those were good yes. points, but they didn't happen for very yeah. long. Those beats were small compared yeah. to the rest of it. It's so. it's a credit to uh, to the actors that they managed to save it by the end of it at least. Yeah, you know, you care about Flocks because of how he he acts that mm. way. <laughs> Uh, Matt, what was your good thing? So this episode starts with uh, Phlox tending to his zoo uh, and Hoshi watching. And Phlox very deliberately reaches into a box, pulls out a tribble, and starts explaining what it is to Hoshi. And I go, really, Enterprise? You're really <laughs> going to go? And before I can even finish that thought, he's fed that tribble to another animal and I laugh my ass off. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> That's fair. Because I, I also thought the same yeah. thing that you did. I thought, okay, this is going to be an episode where Hoshi takes on a triple and then there's this whole other plot. And that would have been a nice episode, but yeah. the fact that they just cut it out there, it was great. I, I, that was cute. I will give you that. It just, it bugged me in Discovery as well. How do you have one triple? That doesn't make sense to me. You get it fixed. Uh, okay. Remember to have your triples spayed and neutered. I'm Bob Barker, but in Star Trek. <laughs> All right. Now it's time to go to the showroom floor. <laughs> I, I might also be Drew Carey. I was gonna. Usually, you have some kind of a better pun or portmanteau or something for that. You don't. You don't have anything this time. Yeah. Bob Barkley. It's not bad. Okay. It's not great. I think we could work with it. Yeah, well, that's my first draft. That then Matt would punch. It. Oh wait. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> but Doctor, you're Matt. <laughs> uh, my good thing. The worst thing I can remembered... ever hear in a doctor's office. <laughs> What's that? Worst thing I could ever hear in a doctor's office. <laughs> My good thing is they actually remembered a thing about Travis. We talked about this last week when mm-hmm. we had a Travis episode and like we knew nothing about him once again. And I, no, they've talked about him rock climbing before. Of course, yeah. every time he rock climbs, he gets horribly injured. This is like the second or third time that's uh, yes. happened. But uh, they, they actually put him to good use. Like, we need to crawl around in some caves and here's our cave expert. So that was cool. He even had a good moment where... 
like Tra- Travis and uh, uh, Travis, Trip and Malcolm are good. Well, we could do this by ourselves. We're fine. No, no, you, no, you idiots. No, you can't. A cave is not a boat, Trip. Yeah, and uh, just leave Malcolm out of everything, please. And there's nothing to have sex with in here. There's bums down there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to find them. He does love bums, that guy. <laughs> Matt, you had a real problem with this whole cave thing, didn't you? I mean, I thought it was boring. Well, yeah, it was. But th- <laughs> but specifically, your bad thing. Oh, the, yeah, the fucking uh, scientists can go screw. <laughs> Right. Just like as soon as as soon as our guys show up and like, okay, you guys, we gotta leave. Uh, the planet is changing hands and they're kicking off all the off-worlders, and they're just like, nah, nah, we got rock shit to do. <laughs> Here's a thought. It didn't, it Fuck didn't bother your rock me. shit. It didn't bother me because people are focused on their work, but I guess it did have a bit of yeah. a, of a uh, like a Maquis vibe to it. And then it was just I, I did, getting all their crap out, and they're just like, "We uh, our important research has been stopped because this stupid thing." Shut up! And I like how how petty they are. They're like six weeks of research to you know get this stuff. It's not like they've been there for years. Yeah, right. No, I guess that's true. I don't know. I just I, I sympathized with them, but on the other hand, yeah, when yeah. it's time to I go, mean, it's fucking time to go. Look, we all get it. Although, Rocks are very important. <laughs> look. Let's let's not start like throwing stones at people who do important things or not important things. We have spent seven <laughs> years watching Star Trek and talking about it. Al, like, we are not throwing any stones. They are far too important to keep to throw away. <laughs> but our but our life's work, such as it is, is pretty stupid too. Is my point. <laughs> Don't put a pin in how pathetic Although, this show is. I have to show up every week. I'm just saying, like these guys, like their life work is at least science. Ours is stupid. So, like you, you know. I mean, the uh, one of the Denobulan scientists did have my favorite line in the entire episode, though, where he talks about uh, they come in and they say, "Oh, you know, the military wants you out. This new regime wants you out." He's like, "Oh, it'll change in two weeks." I mean, mm-hmm. And as a person who who has some experience with third world countries, that is very very fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the government's collapsing again, huh? Well, wait five minutes. Yeah, I totally yeah. get that. Uh, Michelle, what was your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing again was the B plot. It's it's well shot, but you know it is just no. It's just not. It's it's just there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know I've I've described it as a side quest in a video game. It absolutely feels like that. Yeah, yeah. is that? A, but I don't know my but, video games that well. But that's an escort quest, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to you have to get them uh, out of the. Okay. It's a fetch quest, yeah, I really. guess, with an escort quest. Okay. Go yeah. go find the guys, get them out, and you'll get thirty gold. Right. Hmm. Oh boy, gold! <laughs> I'm gonna shoot it out of your ass. <laughs> uh, so, tra- uh, which is sort of. Go ahead. No, I said that's the 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 good thing in my bad thing is that you know at least Trip gets to yell at people. That yeah, but I don't know. Like you get Trip complaining about having to poop in Tupperware, and it's like, <laughs> dude, you're an astronaut. <laughs> Also, I have that guy has definitely pooped in Tupperware before. Like, probably not even in space. Just, (laughs) but also he is an astronaut. This Mm -hmm. is this is par for the course. Like, this is what you do. Well, they are they are astronauts who are going into a cave with no helmets, and that's yep, not right. Well, in any situation, I mean, I had to wear a helmet when I went to like the saddest cave ever. 
Really? Because I went to I went to the caves, the ape caves in uh, Oregon, and we didn't wear helmets. Oh, really? Actually, maybe they did make us wear helmets. Come to think of it, yeah, maybe the, I don't remember. It's been a while. Did you hit your head on something? No, it's <laughs> just possible. Yeah, I that, well, remember when I thought I was uh, a caveman. Oh, sure, yeah, a bowling but like caveman, a millionaire caveman, a rock quarry. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's when that happened. <laughs> you know, um, my bad thing was, uh, well, I said this already, yet again, we have Archer lecturing someone about how their culture should work, and the show mm. does this thing they love to do, where someone acts super out of character just so he can appear to be more right. Like, a bunch of the stuff Flox said in response was not stuff I felt like Flox would normally say. Mm-hmm. Like, they do this mm. straw man thing, and it happens way more in the next episode, where it's like, we want, mm. we want to prove a point, so rather than making everyone act in character... We're just going to bend the characters' opinions to fit the story. And, yeah, like, I was talking to Amanda about this. Think about the the Enterprise characters and think about any situation you could put them in. You cannot predict how they're going to react because it changes every damn week. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on all the other Star Trek shows, even Voyager, which we didn't care for that much, you could pretty much, like, predict how Janeway or, or Tuvok or whoever was going to react. Mm-hmm. And these guys just special boy, yeah, uh, or special boy. <laughs> I haven't thought about the that o- guy in a while. The only exception would be Chakotay, is because that guy changed. You know, they did. They, no, no. They, he, would, even then, you knew that he, no matter what was happening, he would act in the most boring way possible. Well, I suppose that. Yes, but it, it just it bugs me. It bugs me in this. It bugs me in the next one. It's a thing this show does, and it kind of really came to my attention in this episode. Just uh, hmm. everyone's so inconsistent. You're not wrong mm. really at all. Hurts. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything? Uh, let me have a look at my notes. I'm glad you also noticed that their uh, their spelunking uniforms made them look like Ghostbusters. I I was certain you would pick up on that. Hmm. I mean, big backpacks, huh. logos on the, on the arm. Yeah. Got the costume is a little too tight to be worn by your average Dan Dan Aykroyd or Bill Murray, but uh, you know. <laughs> Got their proton packs on their backs and they quit? Yeah. Okay. And they got those cool flashlights sticking out of them now. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, that was that was pretty okay. I don't know. I don't really understand why they brought Malcolm, but I don't understand why Malcolm. So. I don't know. I don't understand why they brought Malcolm on the ship, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's the worst one. Worst most. Oh, man. He gets a moment in the next episode. We'll get to that, but, like, Jesus Christ. Uh, yep. Malcolm's <laughs> that Malcolm, Malcolm Malcolm's harder than any Malcolm has ever Malcolmed. Yep, this is true. Read alert. Okay, I'll see myself <laughs> out. Uh, anything else? Um, uh, I mean, just on the subject of the uniforms, I like those. Uh, their I like their outdoor uniforms. Mm-hmm. I don't really care for the actual ship uniforms as much. Huh. Purely because I think they're just. I mean, they. I know what they're going for again. They were going for this very. Let's say if the if Star Trek the original series was in the sixties and it was this very like modern fab look, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I guess Enterprise was going for that early World War Two, you know, everyone's in boiler suits kind of look mm-hmm. of the Navy. See, I always thought it was and, very astronauty, yeah. but like yeah, it's definitely got a NASA vibe. To yeah, it. Mm-hmm. I like that their uh, outdoor uniforms are a bit more lean, like you said, a bit more. They're almost like ancient. Well, uh, well. 1930s pulp science fiction yeah. cover look. I can, I can see, see that. that. Yeah, yeah. Where it's not, it's not practical at all. But nobody <laughs> had actually been to space, so we didn't know that space suits are to be bulky. So we just like, okay, have these nice, right, 
wetsuits almost. Yeah, all they're missing is the bubble helmet. Yep. Yeah. Which they should totally have. Which they should have been wearing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else? Although I do like the idea of getting mm. bringing a helmet that shatters instantly when something touches it. <laughs> All right. Matt, you got a quote for us? Uh, I do. And it's this. The last cave I was in had handrails. The gift shop. The snack bar. All right. That's a quote. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your quote, and no yep. one can take it away from you. I mean, they can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Vishal, you got an alternate title for us? Yes. When you gaze into the abyss, the abyss flings your poop Tupperware back at you. <laughs> Had that nightmare. Uh, Matt, what do you got? Cave story. Quite good. <laughs> and I went with, uh, because this reminded me of, he's black on the white and, and, and white on the left. I went with, uh, <laughs> let that be your last battle flocks. <laughs> I'm gonna right. say, I think I had that disease once. I'm going to say this. Um, this was an, yet another Star Trek episode that talks about how racism is bad. But if there's one thing I've learned lately, it's, we might need more of that, actually. Okay, but the people yeah. the people suffering from that are not watching Star Trek. So, they're, they're, like, we already know. We uh-huh. need to put that in some other show. Hmm. All right. Moving forward now. Michelle, why don't you tell us what happens in Cogenitor? I will. The love boat investigates a giant ball of gas. And that's all I can sing. So. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> then they discover a lovier boat has penetrated said ball deeper. Uh, the Visians of the lovier boat seem extra happy to help Captain Stubing. Yep. Uh, so they come over for an exchange of culture, pungent cheese and body fluids. Captain Stu- Stubing gets to boldly do what he never could before. Three days of exploring and sciencing with his dad. Uh, sorry, the other ship's captain. <laughs> sharing the cramped confines of Proby McProbe face. All of this goes swimmingly, but he returns to discover that Gopher has been a naughty boy again. Turns out, the Visians have a third gender, a cogenitor. 3% of the population necessary for procreation in couples and they, uh, that is the cogenitor, otherwise have no function in their society. So they're neither, ed- neither educated nor even given a name and referred to as it. This doesn't sit right with Gopher, uh, by which I mean Trip, who snoops around, figures out that they have the same cognitive abilities as the, well, what appear to us as males and females, um, and proceeds to introduce the cogenitor to culture, pungent cheese of the science fiction variety, and thankfully no body, body fluids this time. That duty is left to Malcolm and his Visian tactical officer counterpart, who frankly, well, she could do better, but unfortunately, Travis is busy being silent on the bridge. <laughs> Trip is busy giving a damn. Hoshi is busy perfecting a broth, probably. Paul is busy choosing movies, and Porthos was kept away because his pungent musk was too much for the Visians to bear. <laughs> Uh, this is where my funny summary ends because really it is a serious episode and it did it for me at least quite well. So the cogenitor, meanwhile, has reached the stage where she wants a life of her own uh, that her culture won't give her, at least the people on the ship won't give it to her in this abrupt fashion as her just asking for it. Um, And so she seeks asylum with with the Enterprise crew. Uh, And that's a request that our very human crew have to consider seriously being human <laughs> and this causes the minimum amount of traditional tv drama conflict with literally the politest species in the quadrant mm-hmm. 
but there is tension between the crews in some form and within our own crew and this ultimately ends in archer deciding not to grant her asylum and in her subsequent suicide there's no triple joke here it's a hard ending for a hard subject as it should be yeah i really like this one that's fair i did too i did not yeah. mm. and again it's the cumulative thing it's mm-hmm. Right. I don't feel like they've earned this episode, like in and of itself. Yes. Pretty good. But it's like this yeah. week, Archer cares about not interfering. For yeah. 41 times prior to this, he did care. So yeah. what changed? Yeah. And and for on my first run through of these and seeing this, I, I also had the same. It was more of a relief and like, oh, finally, Star Trek remembered to be Star Trek rather yeah, if, than. If this you know. was the turning point, if he learned something, if we know that's not how the show works, though, it's not like next yeah. week he will carry the, the lesson he learned. They hit the reset button. So hmm. it's just another instance of someone acting out of character because mm. it suited the story. Yes. In, in and of itself, yeah. it was all right, but it bugged me. And I also don't like how they dealt with some of the, the particulars of I. I, I uh, what you, you guys talk, I'll collect my thoughts. <laughs> uh, Vishal, what was your good thing? Well, my good thing was that the episode is, it's its not grey, and I've used this term a lot in this episode, but it's nuanced, and I didn't think Trek was capable of that, really, at this point in time. Since then, then before then, maybe, but, you know, it, it, it doesn't let its characters off the hook about things. Uh, clearly in the last scene, uh, between uh, Archer and Trip, and and it it hurts at the end of it. You it hurts for us as the viewer because you want to see these people succeed. You want to see these people be good people, mm-hmm. as as defined by the laws of the universe. And and I think that that it hurts for us because in in that situation you wonder if you would also do the same thing. It's the same argument that Archer and Trip has. He says that, oh, I just did what I thought you would do. And and Archer is hurt because that is actually what he yes, would do. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a human being, because you have to, you are a human being, we don't have any actual um, experience of alien creatures. We don't know what another sentient species would be like. We know what sentient what we in our planet have called races before but really we're just all human mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we don't know what you know what what is going to tick us off or uh, we are going to find funny or weird or, or or just even plain wrong about other alien races and that is where the decision happens it you know the prime directive we like to think of is oh just don't interfere but also it's also don't interfere with people who are in some ways not capable of it but these people are clearly a much more advanced race mm-hmm. otherwise and yeah I like how naughty this is it's not an easy answer it's not an easy answer now when I look at yeah. it you know, where you think oh clearly he needs to interfere or clearly he doesn't need to interfere I don't know and I like that I what what bugs me is okay you, you meet an alien race for five minutes you judge them entirely mm. by your cultural standards and then you go in mm. and directly like mess with things that, that first of all learn more about them second of yes. all go through diplomatic channels if you think something should be yes. taken care of don't just grab this person by the wrist and pull them off the ship like that's the, yeah. see what i i, I think, think the like i think at least your first point that's what trip's trying to do at the beginning of the episode is just fit like it's like okay this looks weird but 
You know, I don't yeah, know the whole story. He's trying to understand. He, like he's st- he's looking into it. Okay, but even let's say he spent a week teaching her how to read. That's mm-hmm. still not enough. No, you're right. But I think, like, I think what it gets to over and over is like, you know, we've got this guy who's spent who spends very little time with this person to realize that they are in fact like a real a real person and not just like, you know, a big human shaped dog that lives there. By his standards, yes, sure. But again, aliens are aliens. But the thing is, like, if that's how long it took Trip, who is not what I who is what I would say is the furthest thing from a teacher available. So a gym teacher um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can figure this out. Then this this species, who has clearly showed itself to be extremely intelligent, like should like should have figured this out already. I, I I don't know the figuring it out though. You're figuring it out with human perspective. I mean that's I guess, true. Yes, and I it's like walking into think, someone's house and saying I don't like where your kitchen is. I'm gonna turn your bathroom into the kitchen because that's how we do it at my house. I do, it doesn't seem like that to me. What it seems like to me is walking into someone's house and seeing that they've enslaved their kitchen. But that's not yeah. That's not. Uh, no, again, it it's the it's the Matt is bringing up the point that I brought. We have no idea what it would be like to deal with another sentient, actually alien species. We have yeah. only ever dealt with humans. All I know is that this, like, this is a this is someone who is clearly sentient and therefore shouldn't be kept. Okay, that's I mean, that's my that's all that's all my all, point is. All things being equal, yes, but with there's so many things we don't know, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying mm-hmm. it is not yeah. up to fucking Charles Trip Tucker. To stumble yeah, in but and, I, and bumble his way through this well, this culture he knows nothing about. Yeah, I think, the, but that is the best narrative way of doing it because Trip from the beginning has been shown as that instinctual character. Mm. Whether in the first episode where he's you know repri- reprimanding that woman who he thinks is poisoning her kid, you know he works on an instinctual level, which is why he's the best person to when he sees the cogenitor first time. He knows something is wrong by his point of view obviously and everyone is like oh just don't worry about it or they think that oh he must be just interested in se- in the the weird sex thing yeah, he's trying to get pregnant again he's not mm-hmm. yeah yeah the thing that the thing that is you know uh, uh tripping his trip sense <laughs> <laughs> is the fact that she seems because he just like turns to her and says and and she says hello back but she doesn't look at him and everything else about this culture is so in some ways close to the ideal of humanity that oh they're, absolute, they're yeah. uh, explorers they're you know they are the most polite and and uh, you know not again not to draw a parallel between human things but I I I have look I don't want to say that I have any experience in this really but you do get to see I have seen some example of subjugated people oh, of in course. my life. You know, in in culturally, in uh, in just ways of being oppressed, and that is a normal portrayal of how that happens. Mm. They are not, they're not the the people in charge in those situations are not aware of any difference or of uh, there being any problem. Yes, but there. is it is it up to you to yeah. tell them that they're wrong and to to tell them to fix it? We do it all the time as humans. But if I came to India as an American who's never mm. left this continent yes. and I started telling you mm. that I don't agree with the way you guys do things over there, yes. would I be the ugly one or would you guys be? No, I think the the I think the problem is that you're looking at it as an ugly versus not ugly yes. uh, situation. 
uh, whereas there are obviously many Americans who come to India or Indians who go to America and find, uh, you know, in in any culture, you can you choose any two cultures in the world and say that no, this is the way it should be done in terms of either right, you know, healthcare or the way you treat people or uh, this and that. And yes, they will be ugly for it, and many people are willing to take on that burden. People like Trip are willing to take on their bur- that burden because they think that that is right, and they will always do that. They need not be right in in some greater moral cosmic equality way, but maybe there isn't one. Maybe there is only two random races, you know, and someone looking at your uh, at at your third gender and saying mm, that doesn't quite compute. I just like I said, it's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. And again, for Archer to suddenly this week care about this when every single episode has been about him going into someone else's plan and telling them how to do things. I I think a lot of how Archer handles this, I would have to lay at the hands of Levar Burton because he does a great job directing this. Oh yeah, uh, episode. Just as actually Robert Duncan McNeil, we've had two uh, Star Trek. Uh, cast mm-hmm. direct these two episodes. Yeah. He did a good job with the previous one with the flock stuff. Yep. Um, in this one, Levar Burton, the entire A plot, pretty much every trip conversation leads into the next scene. It's like a handover. He's he's building a case in some ways. He's you know he, he likes to pass it off as oh I'm just being curious, but he's constantly you know he's he's in some ways going against his own better instincts of just like going out and saying you people are insane. Why is this uh, this person not you know, and he's like, he's he's being deceptive, which is actually quite a weird thing for Trip, if you think about it. And then in Archer's case, uh, since we were talking about that, um, he has the greatest time of his life, and then it's taken away from yep. him. Mm-hmm. He literally gets what he's been wanting his entire life. They don't really they mention it a little, but they don't telegraph it as much. He gets to spend three days with his dad mm-hmm. yeah. in the best version of his dad. Also, that uh, the guy that he was hanging out with was uh, Tomalock. Was it really? Mm, God, that was yeah. bugging me. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so he's been in a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, he has. He's one of those yeah. guys that they bring back, and he's he's great. Yeah. I liked him a lot, and I liked those mm. scenes. Yeah. I, except Archer's like, I'm just gonna go ahead and drive if that's okay, and just grabs the wheel. Mm. Like, no, stupid ask. Yeah. But that's. But you know. uh, again, that is that is Archer being Archer. That is Archer Archer with his dad. Just replace Tomalock, or I even forget his name, Drenik, I think. It, and with his dad and that entire sequence makes sense and then for him to come back from this perfect first contact you know I didn't see Trip doing even the, the first same scene. thing that he does every single week and somehow this and week Trip it's bad actually, and, and, and Trip doing the thing that he would have done if he had been on yeah, the ship exactly that that really hurts yeah. even the first scene where they make contact when there's no I mean I think uh, I don't know who made the decision but they had the thing where there's only audio coming through, so you only see Archer's face mm-hmm. reacting to these these wonderful people who are like, "Yeah, we're explorers too. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go and explore? And we can do this, and we can do that." And he's he's just over the moon. He can barely con- con- contain himself. Yeah, he he's not the only and, one. Um, I love these guys. Like, hmm. I spent yeah, the first it was nice half- to have some some race that isn't just dicks for once. You know, I, I yeah. trip says it to me, and he's like, "Did we just have a first contact that didn't end with anyone pulling a gun on us?" <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, I spent the first chunk of this episode just like, this is awesome. I love watching these guys mm. bond with another intelligent race. Yeah. I, I'm going to be so and mad when it clear when it inevitably goes wrong. And it did. Yeah. Mm. It did. And I'm glad that they had both sides of that because 
that is that is how cultures meet mm. you get along for so many things and then you know one thing is just not right <laughs> i just and again i don't want to sound like i'm like pro keeping someone a slave cuz no. like just just to be clear what i'm <laughs> saying is maybe maybe the diplomats should be making first contact and smooth all that stuff out I, and then the, send the explorers in i completely know? agree with you the thing that bugs me here is that no one seems to be interested in what trip's saying about like like he keeps talking I to would, people and saying like the, they're keeping this person as like a slave a, a, as a sex slave as far as i can tell mm-hmm. like shouldn't we do anything about that and well, both a procreation Paul, slave let's say yeah, yeah. But and both to Paul and Archer, like that's yeah, none of our business. Yeah, uh, although I would say that if you look at the Tupol scenes again, and I, since I'm watching this for the second mm-hmm. time, I mean, it, it, I'd say she is, she is tacitly understanding of his situation in a way because she never outwardly says you are doing something wrong. She's saying the captain wouldn't approve mm-hmm. of this, right? Well, that's or, yeah. she know. does that. They do that with her a lot, and a lot of people don't recognize yeah, that. I think it's it's very subtle and it's very well played. Yeah. Even if you see her like silently later when Archer finds out and, you know, Archer walks into the his ready room and Trip is there and T'Pol walks by in and she just looks at him and they don't really even focus on that. But it's a real, you know, it's not that she's saying, oh, you you messed up. It's like, you know, you knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I wish yeah. I could have, you know. Yeah. So that's well played. No, and I, I think I think T'Pol does a lot of that. I think they give her a lot of scenes yeah. where it's like... Uh, this is. Cl- I'm not gonna impose my morality on these people, but maybe I'll kind of steer them the right way. Maybe nudge them just a little bit. You know, I like that. Yeah, and she understands her place in that hierarchy now, and 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 she plays off it. I I love the line where you know he says, "Oh, you'll have to. Uh, you're in charge," and she says, "In of the ship or the movies <laughs> or both." <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, my good thing, I, I really did not care for this episode for a number of reasons, but uh, mm. I did like the, spe- the the specificity of these these particular aliens having an overdeveloped sense of smell. That's a thing mm. you mentioned in your mm. summary, Vishal, and I thought that was neat. Like, yeah. they gave them, like, food that was the most, like, aromatic, pungent stuff they could find, and like, yeah, this is kind of bland. Yeah. Mm. No, there's a, there's a whole <laughs> yeah, scene... I, I like that. There's yeah. a whole scene with uh, Malcolm trying to get laid... Ugh. Because okay, <laughs> let me start from the beginning not. on this one. There's a shot where uh, Trip is explaining ice cream to these two women from the other ship, and hmm. Malcolm just emerges from behind a potted plant because he hears <laughs> because he sees the two women are are around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was talking to Flonk last night, and he says to me, "You know how you invented Trip?" I go, "Uh huh." He's like, "I think you might have invented Malcolm too, because he's doing the ex- yeah every made up crap you say he starts doing." Yep. Mm. He does, and I hate it. <laughs> and everyone's fine with it. Trip's like, "Oh, well, you're in good hands. You're gonna get laid now. Goodbye." Uh huh. Like, what? Don't leave him alone mm. with them. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, man. Yeah. But, uh, but so he takes this uh, girl back to back to his uh, quarters and starts feeding her cheeses. Yeah. Is that in their quarters, or it might be in the engine room? I'm not the... sure. Or the armory. He seems to find that very sexy. Or is it on the? In the mess hall, I don't know. You know the cheese. There's the no one else were. there, so they never really. Yeah. I um, but I no, I did, I did like that little detail about them, and mm-hmm. in, in general, I liked these guys. Like they're they're called, you know, obviously apart from this whole cogenitor thing, and I do think mm-hmm. they dealt with the uh, gender thing not in a great way. Mm-hmm. Like calling them it maybe wasn't. 
super great. I think the it thing is made to again. It's made to provoke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another thing. straw man argument. It's another like, see how bad this is. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, but we just got here. Uh, but again, uh, I I would say that it's not quite a straw man argument because let's just say that. Obviously, it might be lost in translation. Yeah. I'm not giving Enterprise this much credit <laughs> that they thought about this, but they do seem to have some bait on it because later on you have that final scene uh, with the couple and the captain and both captains. And uh, this guy, the the guy who is not Munez, because I keep saying Munez because Munez was on the last episode uh, I was on. Oh, right. In, in DS9, DS9. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he says that, oh, what if your stewards were forced to serve your meals wanted... Uh, uh, freedom and Archer says no they're not forced to serve our meals and he says I'm sorry but you know you can forgive me and uh, uh, that is how it appears mm-hmm. and so you know maybe the term it in their culture need not have the same weightage that it does in ours that, uh, yeah, that in the same be. way that the word that the word they has this sort of weird weightage now where uh, many of us are perfectly fine using it for people of, uh, of third genders mm-hmm. and uh, non-gendered people mm-hmm. And other people are like, no, what, what do you mean they? There's no way you can have a singular they. And I've seen people make actual arguments about this and it makes no sense to yeah. me. Again, you know, there's there's that difference there. Right. You don't know what they're protecting and you don't know what they're uh, upset about, but they are Yeah. in both directions. <laughs> well, and in that case, I always defer to, well, what, what does the person want? Yeah. If this is what they asked me yes. to call them. I will call them that. As a grown man yeah, who wants people to call him th- Algar, I think I can say, <laughs> whatever you want me to call you is fine with me. And, and you have come to basically our reason for liking Trip because he's the only person asking, what does the person mm-hmm. want? Yeah. What is the person even capable of wanting? And, and again, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying he went about it mm. entirely no, the no. wrong way. No, you're right. No, absolutely. He he goes about it in the wrong way, but that is the dramatic uh, license of the episode. Mm-hmm. You can't have them doing the right thing all the time. Well, and then it wouldn't be started. And it, yeah, but if we had, if we didn't have 40 episodes of the captain bursting in and doing this in a yeah. row, maybe I could have seen. Oh well, the captain yeah. is a good dude telling this underling that he's doing the wrong thing. But no, it's. Dad, no. I learned it from you, okay? You know? <laughs> yeah, Dad, I learned it from you is the other, I guess, shoe of the episode. Yeah. Because, again, I'll bring bring it back to uh, LeVar Burton's direction. The staging of the last scene is excellent. There is a bit where uh, he, where, you know, where uh, Archer's dressing trip down about this thing after the suicide is had. They've been informed of the suicide. Mm-hmm. And he says, you thought you were doing the right thing. And in that shot, Archer has moved away from facing Trip to standing next to him. Mm. And they're both facing the same direction. And it's a really nice shot because they're sort of both in the same position. You know, they're mirrored, but not in opposition. They're the same person. Right. They would have done the same thing. Matt, how much... You know, it's a dressing down of both of them. Matt, how much did that scene stress you out? Very. <laughs> <laughs> the archer yelling okay. at Trip. Just yeah. like, he, he hit some stuff that it seemed like would really bother you. Yep. <laughs> It stressed me out as well because you like both of those people. You want them to succeed, well, even like though Archer is a dick. I don't like you know. Archer, but but I see what you're saying. Hmm. I like him more. I guess I like him when he's behaving in a way that is interesting. I, for instance, in the previous episode, I liked when he cooked it up and and threatened war with the <laughs> with the military yeah. uh, mm. people. Yeah, I like. I was like, yeah, God could have done that. No, and I'm I'm down for him bonding with uh, the fucking hell uh, Tomalock. Mm-hmm. 
his, Rennie. Yeah, his delighted, like, oh boy. No, that was Star Diving. That was that was one of the few times I felt like I actually understood what Archer was about. Yeah. Because again, every week he acts a little different. Every week he does something that irritates me. And yet you talk about how Kirk did whatever he wanted. That's true, but he did it with charm. Archer mm-hmm. doesn't have that. Yeah. No. He no, it's a, he could have more charm. He can. He no, just, it's not Bacula's fault. Doesn't you know? It's, no, it's no. not Scott Bacula's fault. It's he not. seems like he's a good actor waiting for a good part that just hasn't come to him yet. Mm. No, they just they keep going in like random directions with what Archer does and how he reacts to things. You know? Yeah. It it feeds back to what I said about the last episode, which is yeah. just everyone on this show acts like completely arbitrarily depending mm. on what the story requires, and it's really uh, irritating. Archer. Archer is like if Picard had remained that science ensign in that alternate Q uh-huh. <laughs> timeline. You can imagine him being that sort of pent up and constantly. Yeah, I could see that. Know. Yeah. Blue Picard. Picard is, had. As uh, Flaunt called yeah. him recently. Blue Picard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blue Picard. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the, the sort of the driving force of Archer has always been that he has been denied things. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, he's he's denied his father, then he's denied his you know his commission, this and that, and and I guess they've tried to feed into that, and it's not worked out as a great captain role. Well, but once in a while, he because well, he feels you know, so entitled. Yeah, well, the like thing is, yeah, he's been denied things that are rightfully his, yeah. and that that's bullshit. Yeah, and the you thing is, that. like that works if eventually if the story of the series is him getting over that, but. Yeah, but these I writers mean, are not yeah, that good, and I, you know exactly. That. Like the no. show is the show doesn't have that kind of continuity. It's just no, it's the same characters love, every week. I would love for this to be an arc where he starts out as a dick and realizes that he should be a better captain. And an yeah. episode like this would be a great yeah. turning point in a show like that. But yeah, that's not this, how this show works. Next week is reset yeah. button city, and he'll be back to normal. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what next week is, but I guess it is. Yeah, you must be I mean, you're right. That's, I don't know about season three and four, but that's happened yeah. every time so far. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong. But they have made progress since season one, Archer, who was just you know. See, I don't feel like they uh, have constantly. There is a little. There's a, there's a little change here and there in episodes like this, but mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know how far they went with it, or if they even had the chance. You know, it, it's. We have no idea in some ways. I mean, we have a little idea, I guess, now with with uh, all these oral histories and things as, mm-hmm. as to how much turmoil was going on on the actual show production. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just like want to get it done. Well, that's true. <laughs> but and, and their big defense was we were out of ideas. Well, then don't make a show if you're out of ideas. Yeah. Well, money's coming in. Jobs yep. are yep. on the table. Food's on yeah, the know, 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 table. Yeah. Uh, what was your bad thing, Vishal? My bad thing... I'm kind of... Hang on. I'm scrolling. Right. <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> we do it every week. Uh, <laughs> my bad thing was... Yeah, well, it was Travis. They did not give him any stuff to do in this. And that is ridiculous. Oh, that's our bad thing for every it's, week. Yep. Yeah. That, I mean, as someone who just comes in and like, wait, there is a major cast member here, and I maybe it was down to cost saving because not even Hoshi doesn't really have much more than. No, one I was line. about no. to say Hoshi. She's mentioned Hoshi this later. season has been almost Travis mm. level neglected. Not quite that far, but we've gotten yeah. very little Hoshi this year. I I think this was that time when they were moving between WB and UPN and all that, and so there might have been some kind of just. Because I know that they did this on Mad Men where they'd have named people like, you know, Pe- Peggy and all that and they would not show up for an ep- episode mm-hmm. because that's just how the cost worked out. Mm. 
that okay we can you're a featured player but you're only in it for 10 out of the 13 or whatever you know i don't think that's how the show works because uh, no, if you're in yeah. the main credits I you think get paid the, every week you know mm-hmm. yeah no but that even in something like mad men you know a much more high profile show where you think they just have a line for everyone that's fine but there were episodes where people in the main credits were just not there yeah and not because the, they weren't available or you know they just the, that's how the it's a complicated fee structure it's a complicated residual structure because mm-hmm. there's all that sort of thing that they have to deal with yeah so it might be that but yes again enterprises writers have not given us the confidence to think that oh we planned this no and also and that's, it, it uh, feels like they're just focusing on archer trip into paul like they're the main yeah. three and everyone else is just kind of yeah. there to prop them up mm mm-hmm. mhm Yeah, and in the case of people like Malcolm, it's justified <laughs> that they're you know they're not written that well, right? You Or know, acted that well. You can again, yeah, you can piece together this thing that Malcolm is this weirdly fetishistic <laughs> person who has a death wish and also is extremely closed up, which is why you know he's just constantly throwing himself at everything, whether it's got has a bum or a bomb. <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. And that. and that in my head makes sense that's why uh, you know in this plot where he we've got velo i think uh, who who of these aliens who didn't have great makeup had the best alien makeup because her face structure just fitted properly and the best hair mm. and and she's she's not really an aggressive uh, quarter of him but at least he just sort of he he doesn't quite know how to deal with it but at least he doesn't mess it up mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because that's what i thought that was where it is going it's like you know she's clearly into him in a in a subtle way mm-hmm. right and then he probably goes show me your bum <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that's where it was going to end but no they didn't really give it an ending other than oh they must have had sex and then had dinner no they had to like, they had to pad yeah. it out with some extra like b story c story whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um matt what was your yeah. bad thing Yeah, um so at one point and I am perfectly open to this being I'm being wrong about this. I don't know shit about science. But um at one point the aliens say we've only discovered 92 elements. So no, that's 92, started... no, no, no. 92 naturally occurring elements. All the other okay. elements. All the other elements yeah. are uh, Yeah, those synthesized. are Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. No, I there were two ways I could interpret this and I'm not a chemistry expert and don't play one on TV. <laughs> Uh, I thought that they either meant that, like you said, ninety-two naturally occurring elements, mm-hmm. and the rest were synthesized, or I think even now we can synthesize them but not stabilize. Yeah, we get them in a in a like lab for like a quarter of a second, and that counts enough yeah. to say okay. it exists, but it then immediately yeah. vaporizes or whatever. Okay. Or that they meant that it was a polymer that contained like ninety-two naturally occurring elements or something like that. I'm not sure how polymer structures work, but I know that they're complex and they can be increasingly complex. Right. So okay. Well, then that's to, possible. To, to answer your question, no, I don't have a bad thing this week. Okay. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, mine. I, well, I already talked about it. Just you know, the, the projecting your cultural norms. Also, the alien makeup was especially mm. terrible. It is rough, mm. man. As Vishal mentioned, there's one yeah. person that kind of took to it, and everyone else just like. Ugh. Yeah. No, I again, it's a problem. I think with. uh star trek's uh i guess i i don't want to call it bias but they do seem to design and i know this is a problem as a person who designs things and comes up with you know characters and things you tend to go with 
one type of body or one type of person and then try to fix the fit that on everyone else and that doesn't always work you can see that in this episode sure. you know you have people like the the actor who played velo and that really worked on her face because mm-hmm. she had this heart shaped face and so it kind of th- those those extra ridges fit into her face structure in a way that was pleasing to us um and it looked okay on on, on drenic but it did not look on good on anyone who had either a long face like the wife uh, who was the i think she was the microbiologist mm-hmm. uh, in in the couple or on people like not munyes who <laughs> has this very uh, this wedge shaped face uh, uh, i guess it's a, a latin latino I, i'm not again i'm not sure the culturally appropriate way to say that the a south american um, race uh, a mixed race kind of mm-hmm. uh, face mm-hmm. you know it doesn't look that good on that it looks fine on someone with a very heart shaped small chin uh, high cheek b- bones right face and that's something that i guess designers should be more cognizant of that's all i well, and, and have to for, add to we that. we've mentioned this before it feels like there's two makeup artists on first voyager and now hmm. enterprise and yeah. one of them is the good one hmm. and one of them is the one that phones it in and it feels like we yeah. got that one this week yeah yeah and it's not like all, those could be the same person on different weeks you everyone has their uh, their biases and their blind spots and you you try to compensate for that as a designer but you don't always win right hmm. all right well we should start wrapping things up here you guys got anything else hmm. to, uh... uh i think that's everything yeah i i guess we had to do a quote and oh, yeah. i mean i struggled with this one because There, I, I mean, I, I said previously about the one, the exchange between Archer and Paul about you know, uh, you're in charge of the movies and mm-hmm. the ship, or both. Of, I, I'm mangling that. That's a nice one, but um, there's another one where Trip is uh, trying to introduce more culture to the cogitator in his room, and he tries to show her films, and uh, that's where this quote goes. Got it. The day the Earth stood still. Nothing like a little science fiction to break you in. It's a story about your planet. Yeah, but it's fiction. The Earth never really stood still. I'm not quite sure how I feel about them acknowledging other science fiction. Like I kind of like it, but I, <laughs> I don't know. It's a I little think it's, too wink, wink sometimes. I like it when it's well, like it's it, they they stick with older stuff, and I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, yeah, but the day the Earth stood still it's, is only about ten years before Star Trek. Sure, but it's still black and white, yeah. so it counts. Mm, okay. And it feels it's again it's a very specific nod in this one because they talk about it in the very next scene, but it also feels a lot like Mash. It's like a callback to Mash. This show feels a lot more like how Mash worked as a unit. Mm. You know, they'd have movie nights and this and that. It's a subtle thing. Maybe they again. I don't want to ascribe this much thought to <laughs> Enterprise, but it feels that way. No, I, fe- I feel like your your earlier comparison to the Love Boat is probably more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's gonna get hey, those. You I got those. Sing, I don't. So. I don't know if Matt did, but uh, I'm aware of the the love boat, but only as a concept. Like you name two characters, I, you, uh, and as far as I know, like they could be real or not. That's fair. <laughs> oh, they were okay. <laughs> I, I, they all were. Every I week. nearly. I I think I nearly conflated Tipal with Isaac, the helpful bartender, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that did make it to the summary. <laughs> Uh, but yes, Tipal is totally the helpful bartender. Well, I mean, she's <laughs> she's not the cruise director, mm-hmm. and mm. she's not the doctor, and those are all the ones I remember. No, <clears throat> and Gopher was the guy who was just you Gopher. know always meddling and helping right. people out. He was Gopher, yeah. and yeah, that, so, that actor went on to become a U.S. congressman. So, uh, yeah. oh wow, so really? Maybe even a senator? Mm. I don't remember. 
Senator Gopher. Senator Gopher, right. <laughs> I don't know if he served at the same time it's, as Senator Gopher. I know Bono, it's, it's very 2017, but, you yeah. know, that, that seems like an improvement. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, what do you what do you got for an alternate title, Michelle? Um, I have they, them, never it. Nice, uh, Matt. What do you got? Uh, I called this one the good one because of its good status. <laughs> I went with the up the the line they say every goddamn time, which is there should be some kind of directive. Oh, if only there was some kind of directive. <laughs> Maybe the first one, maybe the mm-hmm. beginning, the very first directive. Oh, we'll call it. Just we'll call it the up. King Directive. <laughs> Michelle, I'm not going to ask if you have something to plug because I know you do, and it's super exciting. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh right, yes. Uh, I have spent the last year basically um, planning and illustrating a children's book. It is finally out. Literally. The day before yesterday, it started shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Best Baker in the World. Mm-hmm. You can find it if you are internationally. You can find it on Amazon.com. I actually bought for... a copy for myself on Amazon. It's not ah. here yet, but it is available in the US. I can confirm Excellent, that. excellent. Uh, and actually, they have, it, uh, so, they have it listed under My First Matinee, The Best Baker in the World. Yes, that's, that's, uh, that is probably what you should search for because it is going to be a series. Excellent. Uh, are you involved I in the I can confirm... Ones, um, I don't want to say yet Fair because enough. we're still sure. sort of uh, working on that, but we fully intend to, uh, myself and the author, Raja Sen, mm-hmm. uh, uh, have uh, basically what the, the premise is, what he came to me with a year ago was, look, uh, I know you like to draw and I like the way you draw. So would you like to draw this book I want to do? And I said, what is it? He said, I want to adapt The Godfather, but I wanted to adapt it for eight year olds. <laughs> and I said, Tell me more. <laughs> and that's how this began. So basically, uh, Puffin, which is a subsidiary of Penguin Random House mm-hmm. in India and, and worldwide, they're, they're children's imprint. They, uh, they came to him. Well, Penguin came to him and said, uh, you're a famous film critic, which is what he is in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you write us a book about cinema, a nonfiction book? And he said, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to... <laughs> I've always wanted to write a children's book. And they said, what? And he said, yes. And they, he said, I want to do The Godfather for eight-year-olds. And they said, what? And he said, yes. And, <laughs> and one thing led to the other. And uh, I ended up on the project because clearly me drawing sexy space ladies for years made him think, ah, this guy should draw a children's book. Yeah. Uh, so we've literally spent the last year, we spent six months just figuring it out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all uh, first, first of all, it's it's we call it a tribute to the Godfather because it is very much its own thing mm-hmm, by now. Mm-hmm. If it was just a straight up spoof of the thing, or you know, if it was just uh, I've seen this happen. I don't want to disparage these other titles, but I've seen people do like children's book versions of Die Hard or something, and it's it's just the same plot of Die Hard with the same people, only they're drawn in a children's book. That, style. that children's book in Die Hard is rough. <laughs> okay, I I don't want to. I'm sure you know it has its audience. It's fine. Our audience is actually ages eight and up, six and up. If you if you think your kid is smart enough, uh, Raja has written it entirely in rhyming limericks, so it's meant to be read aloud to your kids. It's seventy pages of illustrations, all color, full end to end. Um And yeah, it took a year. It took six months of planning, four months of drawing and coloring, basically. And yeah, it's out on shelves. It's a hardcover book. Yeah. 
Yeah. I look I look forward to getting so, my copy. The uh, the the people I ordered it from did not give me tracking information, so I'm just like watching yeah, the mailbox. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, come, come, um, come on. And can we put like a link to the Amazon in the show notes? Oh, absolutely. Out? Absolutely. Cool. Yes, please do. Um, also, I guess put a link to the Amazon dot in one. I'll I'll send you links to these things because it's an Indian publication in mm-hmm. terms of it's brought out by Penguin Random House India. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in the future there might be a US edition. If you know, hint hint. If someone from Penguin Random House US or UK is interested, uh, with, uh, because it is it has international appeal. It is in English. Mm-hmm. It is not specifically culturally. Tied to India. No, it's based, it's based around Indians. an American movie, so surely there's appeal here. Yeah. Uh, we have changed all the characters to animals mm-hmm. and changed them in a way where each animal is sort of representative of their essence. So our godfather, our Don Cannoli, Don Cannoli, he is in us <laughs> since he's a baker, <laughs> right. uh, is a wise owl, and his son, uh, his son, Sunny, is a bear because he's you know, uh, boisterous mm-hmm. and and, sure. and and emotive, and his uh, son Michael is a raven, and you know yeah. Connie is a cat, Fred is a mouse, Tom. Uh, okay, I'm forgetting the name, but Tom, the uh, <laughs> you know the uh, consigliere, Hagen, right? mm-hmm. yeah, Tom, yeah Hagen. Tom Hagen, yes, he's. I I on a side note, I'd never seen The Godfather until like got oh. this project. <laughs> Good movie. It was one of those things that right. I don't know if you've heard this, but that movie's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The sequel is even better. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go watch it now. So yeah, Tom Hagen is is a bat and we have shifted the entire thing and we boiled it down to take place in one neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, there's like there's a ton of things I can talk about it, and I I've not actually talked about it. There is, I'm uh, there's uh, with equal trepidation and excitement. There's going to be a book launch on Tuesday at a venue, and we're probably going to have one of the biggest movie stars in India and possibly the world show up to like oh, uh, cut the ribbon, as it were. Wow! Uh, uh, so no, that's no pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's no pressure. Yeah. Well, I'm looking and, forward to, to checking it out. So, yeah, so absolutely. We'll put links mm. there. I, I'm, I, I'm very. Uh, I should say this. I'm very touched that so many people I know, either as friends or acquaintances, have already told me that they've ordered the mm. book. I, I did not actually expect people to do that based on my name alone. But <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really. Looking yeah, I'm. To I'm. Thank you all for supporting me in any way, even yeah, if you have not. Buy, for, not part of the book. Having said that, please buy it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all for this time, Matt. Next week, we have the... Oh, uh, oh ahead, um, I need to plug one more thing. Sure. I have a very minor, minor part, uh, probably due to working on this book, in this new uh, video game that's coming out. Oh, it's very nice. Video it's, games. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, this is an old school adventure game of the point and click variety. Ah, oh, boring. You... <laughs> oh, what's it, what's but it called? It... it it's called The Adventures of Nick and Willikins. It doesn't ring a bell. You may have heard of it. That no. sounds boring. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. That sounds boring yeah, and poorly but, voiced. Yeah. <laughs> but if you play this game, you will get to see my menu graphics. That's true. My logo. And I think that's important <laughs> in this world. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all for this time. So please time. check that uh, out. Nick- and yeah. Uh, next week, Matt, we are hitting the infamous Borg episode. Oh, no. Oh, what? Right. No, the Borg. That was... The Borg happened. Oh, yeah. Thing. I think I think that is my summary of that episode from what I remember. Yeah. Well, the Borg happened. Yeah. 
again before. So I believe mine will be Oh Fuck Me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're coming up on the end. Oh, probe me. <laughs> coming up on the end of season two. So if you want to write to us, post mm-hmm. comic at Gmail. Uh, yes. The website, postomichorror.com. The Tumblr, postomichorror.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. I am at Algar on Twitter. Matt is at Robot Matt. And mm-hmm. that is all for this time. Yeah. So see you, folks. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2017. Please don't sue us. We're, we're, we're still just doing this. Mm-hmm.